Christy, star one to unmute. Good morning. So today is Friday. Oh, sorry. Today is Friday, August 23rd. Today we are reading from the big book, and we are on page 67, second paragraph, starting with referring to our list again. The, today's readers are Katie G, Judy F, Kim, and Sharon. The reference number for Thursday, August 22nd, is 4992. And again, that's 4992. The OA Preamble, Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Marge to read the 12 steps, please. Thank you, Christy. My name is Marge from Massachusetts. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And twelve, Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Marge. I will now ask Lisa N. to read the 12 Traditions, please. Good morning, everyone. This is Lisa from South Jersey, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. 
The 12 Traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop compulsively overeating. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, and films. And twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Lisa. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. When you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of the Big Book. We're on page 67 in the second full paragraph starting with referring to our list again. And I will ask Katie G to begin reading, please. Good morning, everyone. This is Katie G, Recovered Compulsive Overeater from Boston, Massachusetts. Referring to our list again, putting out of our minds the wrongs others had done, we resolutely looked for our own mistakes. Where had we been selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, and frightened? Though a situation had not been entirely our fault, 
We tried to disregard the other person involved entirely. Where were we to blame? The inventory was ours, not the other man's. When we saw our faults, we lifted them. We placed them before us in black and white. We admitted our wrongs honestly and were willing to set these matters straight. Um, thank you, God, for this um, this paragraph. Grateful to be here, um, absent sober by the grace of God on a Friday morning this morning to be reading this. Um, this life changing, this uh, life changing column, right? So this is this is the turnaround, uh, as I've heard it referred to. So I've got my first three columns, right? I know who I'm resentful at, I know why, and I know what it affects. So now it's saying, okay, if this person had been a fine person, you know, let's just say that this person didn't do anything and um, we're going to put out of our minds everything about this person. What is your, what, what did you do? And I've often heard it referred to as my part. Um, one of the, uh, my AA heroes talks about, well, if it's my part and your part, then I'm going to be handing you a much bigger part. And so he really stresses we resolutely look for our own mistakes. And what's a mistake? A mistake is a judgment, misguided or wrong. So again, it's, a, it's, it's, it's my resentment. My resentments are just judgments, right? And um, my sponsor, when I got to this part in the work, she said, I will be doing this for the rest of my life. I have to see the truth. Um, so I disregard the other person involved entirely, and I'm putting this down in black and white. So what am I putting down? I'm asking myself specific questions, and I do this every night when I have resentments. Where have I been selfish? So the selfishness is, what do I want without regard to their wants, needs, or capabilities? So I want that person to communicate with me without the, the way I want them to, without regard to their wants, needs, or capabilities. I want my mom to tell me she loves me in the way that I want her to, without regard to her wants, needs, or capabilities. I want my stepbrother to get a job and not rely on my parents without regard to his wants, needs, or capabilities right? And so dishonest. This is tricky. So what is the lie that I'm telling myself about the situation? Well, with my stepbrother, that he should, that he should just, that he's capable, that he, you know, he should just get up, go for it, that I, that I know the whole situation, that he should be capable of it, and that his behavior has anything to do with me. Or with my mother, that she should know how I feel, that she should be able to communicate with me the way I want her to, that she should read my mind, right? So these are the lies I'm telling myself. Um, and what are the behaviors that I engage in? What is my self-seeking behaviors that I engage in when I don't get my selfish wants and needs? All right, so I'm taking my Barbies and going home. I'm pissed off. I'm character assassinating. I'm judging. I'm gossiping. Um, I'm attacking them in my head. You know, I'm, I'm robbing all of the time. I, I'm spending, I'm squandering all my time on this resentment, right? And what are my fears? What are my basic fears that are being triggered? Um, I'm afraid of not being in control. I'm afraid of being rejected. I'm afraid that my, you know, um, that there's something wrong with me, you know? And then um, I can look at, okay, well, what, what are these fears? Are these fears current day? Are these fears based in reality? I mean, the biggest fear that I saw that, um, you know, with my, with my um, mom is that, you know, I, I wanted, I was afraid that, uh, that I wasn't good enough, you know, and the truth is, is that, you know, my mom loved me and loves me the best way that she can, you know, and, um, and that's enough, 
you know, and that my security has to come from God. Or the truth is with my stepbrother, you know, he's an alcoholic. He's not in recovery. And me resenting him is just a misunderstanding of my disease. So I get freedom from looking at what my mistake, how I am misperceiving the situation. I get freedom because I'm no longer, you know, the center of the universe. And I'm seeing, oh, yeah, this is my problem. This is not a problem with the way the world is, is conducting themselves. You know, this is the world is actually not out to get Katie, you know, or I'm telling myself, you know, I often tell myself if I had what they had, I would never feel like I feel. Well, the truth of that situation is no one gets a free ride. You know, we're all in this. We all have, you know, crosses to bear, you know, and it's not, you know, poor Katie Gia that doesn't get what she wants, you know, and therefore is unhappy. This is a choice that I'm making when I'm, when I'm manifesting all these resentments. So, you know, um, if you're new on the line and this isn't making sense, that's okay. We're on step four. We're doing a turnaround and learning how to be free from these resentments that kill us. You know, and if you're not doing this work at night, I don't know. For me, I got to do it. Um, I have to spot it on 10 during the day and, and, and pray when I see them on 11 at night and, and to be free so that I can be of maximum service to God, right, because that's my primary purpose. And I can't serve anyone except for me if I am living in my resentment. And I'm grateful to be here. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Katie. Who would like to share on this paragraph? This is Kim. Kim and then Haya. Go ahead, Kim. Good morning, Christy. Good morning, my fellows. My name is Kim G. And I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. Putting out of our minds the wrongs others had done, we resolutely look for our own mistakes. Where had we been selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, and frightened? So I looked up that word resolutely, and that means purposeful, determined, unwavering. And that's what we need to do. This is where the change happens in step four. This is going to be the catalyst for us to see our own defects for six and seven. This is going to be the catalyst of where we're going to find out where we need to make our amends in step eight and nine. And this is going to be the catalyst that's going to allow us to change so we can have that spiritual awakening that we need in order to recover from compulsive overeating. So I'm going to look at that word dishonest. And so I looked up what does the word dishonest mean. It says behaving or prone to behave in an untrustworthy or fraudulent manner. And the fact was, when I thought of honesty, honesty means I would tell the truth when it was convenient and it was beneficial to me. And that truth was seen through disease eyes. So I had to expand what dishonesty meant to me. It wasn't just cash register honesty. You know, Katie gave some good descriptions. If I wanted to see the world where the way I wanted to see it, I wanted to live with Mike and Carol Brady and live with the, Carol, with the Brady Bunch. And that wasn't who my family was. So I was being dishonest by seeing them. My mother's name is Joan, and I often say when I hang out with Joan, she's a fun. She's a hoot. But when I hang out with Kim's mother, she's torturous. She's embarrassing because I'm being dishonest. I'm not letting Joan be Joan because I'm making her be Kim's mother. You know, Dishonesty is not telling the truth when the truth needs to be told. And I think a lot of compulsive overeaters, we collapse into ourselves and we go and we binge in our rooms when we should be out 
handling situations, when we should be telling the truth because we're scared. You know, and I can use honesty as a weapon. I can be cruel. I can speak when I should shut up. I should speak when I should be quiet because in the sake of honesty, I need to tell you what a jerk you are. So that word dishonesty, I had to expand what that meant. And when I expanded what that meant, I saw, ooh, ooh, this person, this principle, this, 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 um, in these things that I'm looking at in my fourth step, those causes, how they treated me, what it affects, I was creating that reality because of my own dishonesty. So once again, we need to resolutely look for our own mistakes. We need to purposely look for our own mistakes. We need to be determined to look for our own mistakes. And we have to be unwavering in looking for our mistakes because this is the key to freedom. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Haya, go ahead. Hi, this is Haya. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay, great. I wasn't sure if I was still muted. <clears throat> Hi, everybody. This is Haya. Good morning. Recovered, very grateful, uh, recovered compulsive eater and bulimic in Dallas, Texas, and I want to welcome anyone who's new on the line and anyone who's been struggling in a way, wondering why they haven't felt recovered like I did. Um, I'm grateful that we study the book and study the solution. Um, I love, love, love where we are. Um, this, it told us just the page before, this is going to be the key to the future. The key to my future is in this this action that I'm doing right now, which is, like people said, turning it around, looking at it from a completely different angle. This was the freedom because in the first three columns, I found out that I was the problem. The way I was thinking was the problem. And in this column, this column four, we just went, we just kind of made that leap to column four by looking at the person as perhaps spiritually sick, like ourselves, not being angry, and now this column allows me to look at me totally, totally, totally disregarding the other person. I never did that before, right? But if you didn't, but if you knew them, you would understand. But they did this. But but but. And what the book is telling me here is just lay them aside. But whether they whether they hurt you or not, even if they hurt you more, even if they they're they're more at fault than you are. Let's put them aside and just look at our own part. And that, my friends, was the biggest gift. Because you know what? The only person that I have a shot at making a difference and changing with God's help is me. And this column allowed me to do it by looking at my thinking and my actions, my selfishness, my self-centeredness, my fear, my dishonesty, as people are saying. My, the page in my book is missing. <laughs> it's a very old, written-in, torn-up book. Um, and uh, so this is the key to the future. I remember many years ago, I, um, I had a friend who asked me if I would take her fifth step. I didn't guide her in the fourth step, and I, I took her fifth step, and she totally left out the fourth column. And I said, Maria, what, where's the fourth column? And she said, oh, I didn't do the fourth column. And what it left, what it left, that inventory left was just looking at being angry at the other person. There's nothing we can do with that except, you know, just just swim in that anger and and make it, you know, grow and grow and grow. This column's bridge to the fourth column, which we did yesterday, and today the fourth column allows me to be free. 
And it's just the first of three parts of the inventory. Um, this is a, a big piece of it, this resentment, and this is how it's said we had to be free of resentment. Couldn't wish it away any more than the food. This is how we do it. I'm so grateful that I was guided, um, you know, to look inside the book and, and do what it's telling me. It has been tremendous, tremendous freedom and continues to be as I continue to do it on a daily basis in my pen staff. Thank you so much for letting me share. Thank you, Haya. Who else would like to share on this paragraph? This is Paula. May I share? You sure can, Paula. Paula and then Leah. Go ahead, Paula. Thank you. This would be Paula, Recovered Compulsive Rita. Thank you, God. It says here, referring to our list again, well, you know, I thought I did quite a bit here. You know, I wrote the list down, but I had to look at it again. And see, that's what it is. They're the turnaround. Look at it again, Paula, but in a different way. Putting out of our minds. Now, I had to literally put it out of my mind the wrongs others had done. And that's what I had stayed on. And that's, I never came to the place of being recovered. I didn't move far enough. I got it on papers and I saw, as they said, the usual outcome was the people continued to wrong us and we stayed sore on page 66 and there I did. And then the change. Where had we been selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, and frightened? I finally had to look at it in a different way. And only when I could and when I did, and as it says in the line before, God will show us how to take a kindly and tolerant view, how I saw, of each and every one, leaving no person, no thing out. Where were we to blame? I finally could realize, and I could say that word. Look at it again, Paula. And I did. We admitted our wrongs and hear the answer of the turnaround. I finally could see my wrongs in it all, honestly. And finally, again, always in this book, over and over, it cannot be done without willingness. And we're willing to set these matters straight. They weren't straight. They were so crooked. They were the mental twists that they talk about often in this book. That sat in my head. And I went round and round. I thank you for allowing me to share. And with that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Leah, go ahead. Thank you so much, Christy. Good morning, everybody. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Uh, First action step, of course, is step four. And it's giving me a lot of responsibility. You know, the big book teaches me that uh, to get over this disease called compulsive overeating is going to require transformation of thought and attitude. Well, how can I go through that process if I don't know what uh, think what thoughts and attitudes exist right now? I have to know, you know, have the opportunity to examine my mind, examine my thoughts and attitudes as it is right now, and that's exactly what step four is all about, to examine the way I've been thinking, the way I've been interacting, my outlook on life. Because, you know... The reality is that for years I might have been pointing my finger and saying, you know, it's his fault, it's her fault, it's their fault. But external conditions are never a remedy for an internal condition called addiction. Addiction's an internal condition. You know, I can point my finger all day and all night. The reality is the problem is me. It says putting out of our minds the wrongs others had 
others had done. Uh, We resolutely looked for our own mistakes. Where had we been selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, and frightened? And people oftentimes will interpret these statements as uh, in relation to the wrong that person did to me. In relation to the thing that the person did to me, where was I selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, and frightened? But, But that's not what the big book is saying. It says specifically putting out of our minds the other the wrongs others had done where had i been selfish dishonest self-seeking and frightened so i am really uh, under the guidance of the big book putting out of my minds the wrongs others had done where am i wanting my way that's what selfish can be uh, defined as where was i wanting my way i wanted the people on my list to be different from who they were I wanted that person on my list to be exactly following my demands and my specifications and my wishes. I essentially wanted my past to be different. It didn't go my way. Uh, Where had I been dishonest? And, of course, previous comments have developed dishonesty to meaning beyond just cheating and stealing. Where had I been lying to myself? Where had I been uh, not telling the truth when the truth needed to be told? Where was I being a people pleaser? Where was I uh, not wanting people to be mad at me? Therefore, I was refraining from saying that which needed to be said. Uh, Self-seeking. Where was I seeking uh, results in order to benefit only me? Seeking for for the sense of self. And frightened, of course, you know, uh, you know, where, where was I fearful about losing things I already had or not getting what I wanted? Uh, so the big book makes it very, very simple. They are um, condensing it down to four ways that the self is manifested, selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, and frightened. There's fewer character defects here to deal with. Um, It comes down to the simple concepts, all aspects of self, all aspects of us wanting life to be different than it was. Essentially, I wanted to be in charge of life. And people were disappointing me and making me upset. And so, damn it, I'm going to eat over it. You know what I mean? I'm going to take my marbles and I'm going to go home and I'm going to binge my brains out till my eyeballs hurt. Well, this step four was the first time I was able to take a look, an honest look, and see for the first time the real truth, see the kind of personality that I had developed through my years of living a life run on self-will, run riot. You know, and I always thought I was a pretty uh, nice, good person. I just ate too much. But I began, because of this first action step, I began to see that because of my own character defects of selfishness, dishonesty, self-seeking, and fear, that I made decisions based on self, which always placed me in a position to be hurt at a later time. And I began to see that if I don't do something about this, if I continue to stay selfish and resentful and self-seeking and dishonest and fearful and inconsiderate, then I'm going to continue to do the same old pattern and I'm going to continue to get hurt and I'm going to continue to retaliate as other people also retaliate and I'm going to continue to binge my brains out. So the choice was up to me. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Well, I'm Christy, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. And, uh, 
you know, referring to this list, and the list we're talking about is the one that we created using the format on page 65 of the big book. And it's so beautiful in its simplicity. It is so beautiful in its simplicity. Essentially, you know, I, you know, here are the people I'm resentful at. Here's the context. Here's the context for why I'm resentful at them. Here's what it affects. And now I get to look at my part. You know, I remember the first time I did a fourth step in, in a way, and, you know, the first thing I did was delay it for as long as possible, for as long as possible, and I was not delaying my fourth step. I was delaying my recovery, by the way. I was delaying my recovery because what that allowed me to do is just keep eating. So, you know, of course I had not, uh, I had not admitted that I was powerless over food. I was still calling the shots with what I could eat, and, of course, I didn't have any allergies to uh, food and food just, you know, whatever. I just created a different plan of eating every single day based on my definition of abstinence, which changed as frequently as the weather. Um, you know, so that's what I did. I delayed it for as long as possible. I used an extremely complicated formula uh, where I went through, I don't know, I think, I mean, I used something that I was reading in one of the recovery books, and it was going through hundreds of different, um, quote-unquote, character defects, and it was just very complicated, very complicated. You know, I spent a lot of time thinking about the kind of paper I would write it on, and whether I would use a pen or a pencil, or maybe I would use my keyboard and enter it in in my computer, um, which was kind of new at the time. And, uh, you know, I, I essentially, quite honestly, you know, <laughs> of course, delayed my recovery. I delayed my recovery. And again, you know, my disease is cunning, baffling, and powerful. And, you know, while I was giving thought to how I would actually do this, I was eating. I was eating. You know, I was focusing on food. And this simple, simple, simple format is um, life-changing for someone like me because what it allowed me to do was put everything out in, you know, black and white and, uh, and look at my part. And what it says here in this paragraph is um, that the inventory was ours, not the other man's. And we admitted our wrongs honestly and were willing to set these matters straight. You know, when I wrote this out, I, I didn't know where I had been selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, and frightened. I mean, how simple is that? I've got four things here to look at. Four things in myself, you know, where was I selfish? I always wanted people to act a certain way. Always, always, always. I don't like problems. I don't like having to deal with things. I want things to work out my way. And I am afraid that they won't. I'm always afraid. Always, always, always afraid. Always afraid that I'm not going to get mine. Things aren't going to work out. You know, I mean, and I didn't realize any of that. I didn't realize any of that. Um, but the beauty of me doing this is that it allowed me to see my patterns. How, do, how is it, I think? How do I react? Because that's the only thing. That is the only thing today that I'm responsible for. I'm responsible for my thoughts and my actions, period, period. And, you know, I was... I, I was desperate enough, I was desperate enough to look at my part, to look at my part. And it wasn't always so clear to me. And thank goodness, 
thank goodness I was working with a sponsor and enough desperation that I could say, help me see me. Help me see myself. Help me see what my problems really are. I don't want to live like this anymore. I don't want to live like this anymore. Uh, you know, and it was not coming from defiance where I said, I really don't think I've got any problems. I really, really, truly on my knees wanted to know. I needed to, I knew, I knew that if I didn't do this and if I wasn't thorough and searching and fearless here, nothing was going to change. Nothing was going to change. And I, you know, it is, it's beautiful that I get to see this today. I mean, it has changed my life, changed my life. And, you know, it's, you know, it doesn't mean that there were moments where I thought, wow, this is so painful. I can't believe I'm like this. But you know what? I'm in really good company. I'm in really good company. I'm in company with the people who wrote this book. That's pretty good company to be in. And I'm in company with all of you who are also doing this, who I can call on the phone and talk to about my fears and about how selfish I am. And today I can laugh about that. Today I can laugh about that. I don't feel ashamed or bad about it. I can call people up and say, you would not believe where my brain went today. I mean, that's a beautiful thing to me. That is a beautiful thing to me today. Where Once I felt so horrible about you know, being human you know, and being an addict. And uh, with that, I will pass. Is there anyone else who'd like to comment on this paragraph before we move on? Rose, Katie, Rose, and then Katie, go ahead, Rose. Thank you so much, Christy. This is Rose, recovered, grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater in New York. It's on the last sentence. We admitted we were... we. Excuse me. We admitted our wrongs honestly and were willing to set these matters straight. And the instructions I received when I was being taken through this um, step process with a recovered compulsive reader, the three principles in this sentence was admitted honestly and willing. And those were the three qualifications that were required by me to do this fourth step um and then the key here was to set these matters straight which was preparing me for the uh, following steps which um allowed for this uh, psychic transformation and personality change sufficient um to keep me abstinent and keep me growing spiritually in the program and the other thing that I was instructed to write in my big book here is is really the key uh, for me is that <clears throat> I am going to do this for the rest of my life. And I know it's been said. And um, when I was going through the step, the impact of that and the the uh, depth and weight behind that sentence um, is quite different now that I have completed the steps that in truth, daily, this must be done or my my spiritual uh, condition is not fit and I'm on thin ice with, um, with the program. But um, the fact that we're given this um, golden tool as a daily practice to continue doing these turnarounds on selfishness, dishonesty, self-seeking, and fear um it's it's 
I don't have any words to say what it what it uh, what a gift it is. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Rose. And then was it Katie, or who wanted to share? Who else wanted to share on this? Judy S. Devorah. All right. Devorah. Go ahead, Katie, and then Devorah. Oh, I, I think uh, Judy F. Oh, Judy. I'm sorry, Judy. Go ahead, okay. and then Devorah. Thank you, Christy. Good morning, Christy. And vision for you. This is Judy F. from Fox, uh, actually from Massachusetts. Uh, recovered compulsive overeater. Um, for me, this this was um, huge. Um, looking at answering these questions, and it was so so um, simple. I had done four steps before, and with all the questions, um, like one had like 184 questions, and and I just got more and more confused. And as someone had said, this is so simple, um, and. It all builds on itself. A couple of paragraphs before that, saying that sick man's prayer is what I was. Um, we referred it to. Put me my mind in a state that um, I was with God's help, and that was the beginning of God me having a relationship with God that He could help me through this by saying the third step prayer before I wrote every time. Then the sick man's prayer. I was uh, directed to say the sick man's prayer before I wrote, but that readied me to then look at my side only. And, you know, we tried to disregard the other person involved entirely. Um, and, you know, before that, they say the situation, it's not entirely our fault. So, okay, get that out of the way. It's not all our fault. But now we are to look at this entirely um, at ourselves and, and not the other person at all. So the prayers got me ready to look at um, my part, and um, and for me, that breaking through the denial of what dishonesty um, I had, a lot of it was expecting others to be different, unrealistic expectations, and thinking I could read the other person's mind, and thinking I knew best. I knew best what was for them. And that, over and over, you know, when we um, put these down before us in black and white, I couldn't deny it anymore. No matter if it was my mother or it was um, a boss or someone who worked for me, over and over I saw again and again the patterns that um, my, self, my selfishness and then my behavior, how I reacted to that, and then finally my fears, which we're going to get into. But I had to see it over and over and over, and that, um, and that it was in my thinking and how I acted. Um, and so I, they, the big book just, they knew how to lay it. It's a foundation, and we just follow these directions, and it does work. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Judy. Deborah, go ahead. Good morning, everyone. Um, this is Deborah in New Jersey, and uh, we covered. Um, wow! See, when I got to this point, um, it was uh, a real eye opener because uh, I didn't consider myself a selfish person. Selfish, you know. I'm a mother. I'm a teacher. I'm a wife. I do so much for so many people. My community. I'm there, out there, and you know, selfish. I don't know. But um, when I started going through this and listening, you know, my self-seeking behaviors and the 
selfishness. I didn't realize that pushing my will on you was being selfish. I wanted you to do something because that's the way I wanted to be done because that's the right way. That was self, that's selfish behavior. And um, I had to learn the truth, the truth being that um, I had to learn these words. My sponsor taught me these words. A lot of my truth was none of my business. It's not my business. Um, and I thought that, you know, butting in and showing you and, you know, I was teaching you. But the truth is, really was not my concern and, and I was letting where I shouldn't be. Um, and then the fears, um, you know, we'll get to the fears, but you know, I didn't know I was crippled with so much fear, doubt, and insecurity. Um, putting it down on paper and continually doing it on a daily basis is opening up to me so many avenues. Um, and, you know, I'm just so grateful for this process because, you know, in previous years, it was done in a very different way, um, and I never, I never knew, I never felt these four aspects of it. You know, the lies that I told myself, the selfish behaviors, all these things, self-seeking ways, what I did to um, to uh, um, to relieve myself of the, this stuff, it just never was dealt with. And you know, this past year of working it through as it's laid out here on these pages, it has opened up. I'm learning. I feel like I'm in kindergarten and learning. Um, and it's um, unbelievable. You know, here I am, 54 years old, and I'm just uh, just starting out here. And it is, it is an amazing process, and I have, it's a continual process. It doesn't just say, well, I do it this one time. I did it. I did my writing, and it's over. Something that I need to do is take stock of every single day um, and throughout the day. So thank you, and with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Deborah. Let's move on to the next paragraph. Judy F., would you please read that for us? Notice that the word fear is bracketed alongside the difficulties with Mr. Brown, Mrs. Jones, the employer, and the white. This short word somehow touches about every aspect of our lives. It was an evil and corroding thread. The fabric of our existence was shot through with it. It set in motion trains of circumstances which brought us misfortune we felt we Judy, can you press star one to unmute? Judy, are you there? Judy, I can hear some background noise. Hi, this is Hilliak, continue. I'm sorry, Judy? Hi, this is Judy. I'm sorry. That's, that's okay, Judy. Can you just start over and read that for us yeah. again? Sorry, I, I don't know what happened there. Okay. Notice the word fear is bracketed alongside the difficulties with Mr. Brown, Mrs. Jones, the employer, and the wife. This short word somehow touches upon every aspect of our lives. 
It was an evil and corroding thread. The fabric of our existence was shot through with it. It set in motion trains of circumstances which brought us misfortune we felt we didn't deserve. But did we not we ourselves set the ball rolling? Sometimes we think fear ought to be classed with stealing. It seems to cause more trouble. Hi, this is Judy F. again uh, from Massachusetts, Recover Compulsive Overeater. Um, this was really, I, you know, looking at fear, and, and um, my sponsor had me look up in the definition in fear, agitation, alarm, anxiety, or dismay in the anticipation of, negative imagination, dread, apprehension. And I, I lived in fear. Um, and I didn't think so. I had done very a lot of courageous things in my life, and yet in my head I would wake up and have this sense of dread or negative thinking that something that I had to protect myself or I was going to. My basic fears after doing this work, you know, fear of not getting what I want, fear of losing something I have, fear of what other people think of me, um, fear of not being good enough, smart enough, um, I'll be enough. And and it was an evil corroding thread because I was thinking it, that then my actions, I would then have those expectations of other people trying to fix that fear. I, I would try to manage my fear, try to, um, and the more I tried to manage it, the worse it became. And then that would set the ball rolling because I was expecting others, I would go to them for my source to make me unafraid. Um, and, you know, it was an evil and corroding thread because it would take me down. It, it, I would have one fear and then it would build on itself and, you know, that projection. And I always, I would visualize and the, the film I had in my head was never anything good. It was my, the way I managed my fear, I would say to myself, and I learned this doing this work and, you know, as we go that it has a question, turn around, I learned there were fear turnarounds, but that I would have this visualization and it was never a good thing and I, I, I did it in order to try to manage, you know, that self-reliance, manage my fear because I thought, okay, think of the worst case scenario and then if you think through that, then you'll be okay. And it just made it worse because then I would find other things to think about. Um, and so I, uh, this was so important to look at it because it was the last question in the resentment part. And so I saw, if I, if I could deny that I didn't have fear, I saw doing all my resentment inventory work, there were a lot of fears. And um, so I couldn't deny it anymore. It's such a big part of my illness. You know, I denied that I was compulsive reader and that I had a problem. Uh, and then when I finally, okay, I am a compulsive reader, I can't when I put certain substances in my body, I cannot stop eating them. But, and then, and I had an, an insane mind when it came to food. But then, the real denial was looking at how I set the ball rolling in all my relationships that weren't working. And this part, this fear part, helped me to see how my fear would then set the ball rolling and make me want to 
manage other people, control other people, control the situation, control the circumstances to make me feel better. So I was still, I went to the food for ease and comfort, and then I went to manage my fear so that I could have ease and comfort, and it didn't work. And this work helped me to see, again, black and white, what how my part made my life miserable. And with that, I can pass. Thank you, Judy. Who would like to share on this paragraph? Katie and Sally in South Jersey. I heard Katie, and then uh, who else? Sally and Sally. Sally, uh, Katie, Janice, and Sally. We'll see what we can fit in here in the last few minutes. Katie, go ahead, and then Janice. Good morning, everyone. Sorry to uh, share again. This is Katie from Commercial Reader from Boston. I just needed to say, like the previous speaker said, this was such a profound paragraph for me, and it continues to teach me, like, I never knew that every action I took for me, and this is just me, was based in fear. Like, I'm afraid that I'm not good enough, and so then I go out there, and I, everybody looking at me is telling me I'm not good enough. My security is based on how people drive in traffic. Because if people don't get out of my way, then I'm somehow not okay, right? And I give my power away. And I never saw that. I never saw that that angry person in college, that woman who said to people, I hate people, and then looked at my friends and said, oh, don't worry, you don't count, was just a fearful, compulsive overeater who was so afraid that you were going to reject me that I am going to reject you first. Because the pain of you rejecting me is too much to tolerate. And I'm telling you, fear, is, and that sets the ball rolling, and it's something I work on every single day. You know, fear that somehow I'm not going to be in control or you're going to take advantage of me, so I'm not going to let myself be vulnerable. Where's God in all that? Like, people don't want to interact with me if I'm constantly trying to one-up you or if I'm if you're like on some pedestal of mine, so I'm afraid to like, you know, have a normal conversation with you, you know, or if I go into work and all the, I'm afraid that I, I'm the only one getting feedback from my supervisor. Okay, so that's my fear. So then I ask all the girls, well, what kind of feedback are you, you getting? What's the truth there? None of your business, Katie. You know, that fear is setting the ball rolling and then creating this circumstance where I'm the victim because nobody likes me and everybody thinks I'm horrible and, and, and I just can't function because I'm so focused on external circumstances. And what does the book tell us in the ABCs? No human power. A, that I'm a compulsive overeater and I cannot manage my own life and B, that no human power. And so my sponsor taught me the most important thing to remember, my security doesn't come from you. And some days, like, I can remember that and some days I'm just reciting it and saying to myself over and over again, my security does not come from you. But I can tell you today, having done this work, I understand my fears and the fabric of my existence is no longer based on fear. It's based on God. And I have a solution when I'm feeling so, you know, um, put off by life. I know that it's the way I'm looking at things. And with that, I kind of thank you. Thank you, Katie. Janice, go ahead. Good morning. Good morning, Christy. Good morning, Vision for You. My name is Janice. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. Boy, we must all be compulsive overeaters. I hear you telling my story as well. You know, when we look at this paragraph, 
It was so important. I'm so glad that they put this down, that they asked me to look at fear, that they put down fear as a place where I needed to see what I was doing, what I was doing. You know, I someone shared with me in recovery early on that we put these things down in black and white so that we can live our life in technicolor. I just loved that because my, my life was pretty black and white, pretty black and white. And if it was black and white, that means it was always worse than, better than. It was always self-protecting and withholding. It was always about controlling and managing. And it was because of fear. It was because of fear. You know, I lived my life based on uncertainties. Fear made me live in that place all the time. Uncertainty, uncertainty, uncertainty. What was going to happen? What was going to happen? And how could I control what was happening? And it says it's the corrosive thread and it's shot through our whole lives, our whole existence. And did I believe that was true? Yes, when I could see it in myself. And when you shared with me that it had been true for you as well. But there was going to be a source of power. You were already setting that idea in motion for me. You were already helping me to see that with this God of my understanding, there was peace and ease and comfort like I had never known before. But I had to see myself first. I had to see how fear was doing this and setting the ball in motion and how because I was living this way, the circumstances that unfolded were, of course, going to make people retaliate and it would just get more difficult instead of more easy. But this I knew to be true because you had shown me it worked for you that if I kept to this path and looked at myself clearly, that what would unfold was a life I could never have imagined, a life that I could live in usefulness and happiness and freedom. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Janice. And then, Sally, we've got time for just uh, for you. Go ahead. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's Sally in South Jersey, recovering uh, compulsive overeater. Um, so this is a wonderful paragraph, and so many wonderful things have already been shared about this. I just will add, um, again, page 62, the top of the page, the top paragraph, right in the middle there, it says, driven by a hundred forms of fear. And the fact that this, we haven't even reached the fear inventory, the fact that we're actually looking at the resentment inventory and how fear is bracketed alongside of these resentments, because fear drives so many of our emotions. It goes on to say it was an evil and corroding thread. The fabric of our existence was shot through with it. It reminds me of one specific type of cancer, which of course we know our disease is likened to cancer on the top of page 18. And this one particular form of cancer, glioblastoma, is um, a, a cancer of the brain that is a cobweb that infiltrates the entire brain. So when they open up the brain to try to do a brain surgery on a person with this particular form of cancer, they can't really do anything because it's a cobweb that not only layers on top of the brain, but it just infiltrates all through the brain. So they would be picking at the brain in the process of picking at the cancer. So you see, this is kind of an amazing thing to me that it's telling us that this fear infiltrates 
or rather they're saying it's the fabric of our existence was shot through with it. So it affects so many aspects, not just resentment. Uh, it, it's actually um, in another place on page 52, it talks about fear. I, I looked these up because I was so riddled with fear in my disease. And it says, we were full of fear on page 52. And it says quite a few things about fear on page 52 as well. So um, with that, I'll just go to this last sentence. Sometimes we think fear ought to be classed with stealing. It seems to cause more trouble. What an interesting sentence to say. You know, because stealing is frightening. I, I don't know about you if you've ever stolen. I, that was kind of, you know, I was a caper. I had a lot of capers in my childhood and in my a young adult life. Um, stealing is, uh, has, is infused with a lot of uh, anxiety, and that was my experience with my disease and specifically with how fear impacted me. And fear, last of all, I would say we, we had fear because we were self-reliant. I equate those words together. I was self-reliant, therefore I had fear. If I was God-reliant, I didn't have any fear. I was relying on God. I was surrendering the outcome. I was accepting life on life terms. But if I was self-reliant, I had fear. Thanks for letting me share, Christy. Thank you, Sally. And thank you to everyone who has shared. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Kim, will you please read a vision for you? Thanks, Christy. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. <laughs>